0: are in a battle. It's a battle that's really raged since the beginning of time. Uh, It's not a battle of flesh and blood, like those that fill our stories or capture our imaginations. Uh, It's a battle for our souls. And our enemy is on the prowl waiting for an opportunity to strike. And so throughout scripture, we're called to courage. We're called to trust. We're called to vigilance. We're called to stand. We're called to fight. But it's not in our strength. It's not our strength that drives us forward. We put no confidence in ourselves because we know that in us is no good thing. No, we put our faith in God because the Lord is our warrior and Jehovah is his name. He has risen up and secured our victory. He is the one that clothes us in strength. He provides our armor. His Son, our Savior, has publicly beaten and disgraced the enemy of our soul. But while our enemy is defeated, he is not done. And so we rise up in the power of God's might. And we run with purpose. We fight the good fight. We discipline our bodies. We train our minds because, as the scripture tells us, we are more than conquerors. We fear no one because victory belongs to our king. And he has given us everything that we need to win our battles. And so this morning, we are going to see how do we win the battle against fear. Stand with me if you are physically able to psalm. Twenty-seven. as we kick off this series looking at how do we fight and win our battles. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for joining us. I'd encourage you, or really everybody in the house this morning, to go ahead and take out your smartphone, and you can open up the camera app and uh, scan the QR code in front of you. That'll take you to fresnochurch.info. If your phone isn't able to do that, you can just open up your web browser, go straight to fresnochurch.info. Dot info. And there will be a place, if you're our guest this morning, there's a thing called a connection card. You can fill that out to let us know that you are with us this morning. Uh, there's also sermon notes there available as well. But let's read our text, Psalm 27. I'm going to read all 14 verses of the psalm, and then we will work our way through it through our Bible study this morning. The Bible says in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers come against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I've asked one thing from the Lord. It's what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord, seeking Him in His temple. For He will conceal me in, the shel- in His shelter In the day of adversity he will hide me under the cover of his tent he will set me high on a rock then my head will be high above my enemies around me and i will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy i will sing and make music to the lord lord hear my voice when i call be gracious to me and answer me my heart says this about you seek his face lord i will seek your face Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am certain. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have secured our victory in Christ. And like we sang about and like we often preach about and teach about, and your word so often reminds us, Lord, you have won the battle for us. And I pray that as we March through your word this morning and as we work through this series of messages, Lord, that we would be reminded and we would experience, we would live in the victory that you have given to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Fear is a mind killer. Now, fear in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. Fear starts in a part of our brain called the amygdala. It's the part of our brain that drives our fight-or-flight response and it controls our emotional reaction to something that stands out as a potential threat. Now, what it does is, when it sees something that's a potential threat, it starts pumping out adrenaline, it heightens your senses, it makes your pupils dilate, it makes you overly alert, because you may be in a situation that's dangerous, and so what your amygdala is doing, that little part of your brain, is it's preparing your body to survive. Now, there are other parts of our brain that help us interpret this potential threat. It's called your hippocampus and your prefrontal cortex. These parts of our brain are are involved in higher level processing of context and information. It's the thinking part of your brain. And what it does is it helps you know whether or not the possible threat is real. And if it is real, it helps you know the correct way to respond. This is why when you go to a zoo and you see a lion, it's fun and you're not scared. But if you're on a hike alone in the Sierra Nevadas and you see a mountain lion, it is scary and it's not fun. That's because the thinking part of your brain tells the emotional part of your brain, this situation is under control or it's not. I had a very real example of this this morning. On weekends where I preach, I like to come in early to go over my notes, to go over the screens, to kind of pray and get my heart ready. And this morning I walked in and I walked right up to the front. I went to go set my stuff on the stage, and I'm literally standing right here, and I look down, and I realize my leg is in a spider web, and there is literally the biggest black widow spider I've probably ever seen in my life. And instantly, my amygdala, I think we got a picture of this fellow up here on the screens. there he is. Yeah, I knew you all wanted to see that this morning. I uh, Instantly, when I looked down and I saw this guy, my amygdala kicks in. I instantly jump back, and there may or may not have been some yelling, but I'll work that out with my counselor. Um, fortunately, the thinking part of my brain then kicked in. It wasn't just all amygdala, all emotion. I wasn't paralyzed with feel. Fortunately, the thinking part of my brain kicks in and goes, Nick, you're like a million times bigger than this guy. He's more scared of you than you are of him. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be all right. And then I start laughing because I'm like, this is really comical. And then the, thinking, the next uh, thing my thinking brain tells me is, this is a perfect sermon illustration for this morning. God has predestined this spider to be conformed to my sermon. This is perfect. The third thing my thinking brain tells me is spider meat foot. And then what I did after that, and I don't know if this was my thinking brain or my amygdala working. I went and I got a broom and I like swept out all these planks up here because I'm like, not today, Satan, not today. See, the reason you get scared is because your amygdala says this is a potential threat. This could be dangerous. But fortunately, the thinking part of our brain helps us know how to interpret it. And the context that our thinking part of our brain looks for is control. It asks the question, is this situation under control? And when situations arise that we don't have any context for, we don't. That's why fear often begins to grip our hearts. Now, fear in and of itself is not a good. It's not a bad thing. That's the way God made us so that we could respond and survive in those situations. The problem with fear is that it often completely takes over. And instead of using the thinking part of our brain, letting that part of us drive our behavior, the emotional part of our brain then takes over. And what happens is this often will lead us, will allow fear to take over, and it leads us to bad decisions. It'll lead us to indecisiveness. It'll lead us to overanalyzing things. It'll lead us to paranoia. It'll lead us to uh, believing conspiracy theories, because this is a way that our brain can make sense of all this. It paralyzes our ability to make the correct choices. And as Christians, it'll wreck relationships. It often leads us into disobedience. Abnormal levels of fear and anxiety lead to significant distress and dysfunction. They limit our ability uh, to be successful in life, to enjoy life. You cannot live being paralyzed by fear while also experiencing the joy of the Lord. So that's why I said earlier, fear can be a mind killer it paralyzes us into indecision. And what we're going to see throughout this morning's message in Psalm 27 is that living in fear is the result of orienting our lives around something other than God. Living in fear, being paralyzed by fear, allowing fear to be the driving driving factor in our lives is the result of orienting our lives around something other than God. And what I hope to do this morning as we work through Psalm 27 is, is give us ammunition so that we can combat our fears. I wanna give us ammunition so that when fear begins to creep into our lives, we can use the thinking parts of our brain and say, no, 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 we have all this ammunition so that we can fight this fear so that we don't have to let it overcome us. And we know how to rightly interpret and rightly respond things that appear as dangerous or as a threat. And I think we can all agree there are a lot of things that present themselves to us as fear. There's a lot of things that society and media and the world tells us you should be afraid of this, but one of the most repeated commands in Scripture, or in some form or another, is fear not. So, how do we battle our fear? Let's revisit the first three verses of Psalm 27. The Bible says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers come against me to devour my flesh, that sounds scary. My foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. Our first thought this morning as we battle our fear is that the person of God gives us courage. The person of God gives us courage. I love what David's doing here at the beginning of this psalm. He's just reminding himself of who God is. He says, God is my light. God is my salvation. God is my stronghold. Because of who God is, we can be confident No matter what threat or what danger we face in our life, whatever is causing you fear, God is bigger. God is more powerful. God is. Because God is, we do not have to live in fear. The Hebrew name that's used for the Lord in verse number one is Jehovah. It reminds us that our God is self-existing. He is all-eternal. This is the proper name for our all-supreme God. The very existence of Jehovah drives out Fear, because there's nothing that's outside of his control. There's nothing that's more powerful than him. And so the very existence of God drives out fear from our lives. The reason we're often paralyzed by our fears is not because our circumstances are scary, although they often are. When things in life happen that are outside of our control or we have no context for how to handle them, it's easy to let fear take over. But I want to remind us this morning that nothing ever happens outside of God's control. Nothing ever happens outside of the context of Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The reason we live in fear is because we're forgetting God is. And in the moment of fear, we're not orienting our life around the all supremacy of Jesus. David said, "Evildoers can be coming to destroy me. An army can be coming to wipe me out. An entire war can be breaking out against me, but I will not fear. Why? Because God. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, I'll admit, that sounds scary. Wolves eat sheep. (laughs) I mean, I had a lamb and beef hero earlier this week, and it was tasty. Like, wolves eat sheep, and they like it. Jesus is not calling us to safety. Jesus is not calling us to comfort. Jesus is literally saying, look, I'm sending you out into persecution. And then after Matthew 10, 16, he takes a whole lot of verses to describe what that's going to look like. But I love what he says later in Matthew 10, verses number 28. He says, look, I'm sending you out into persecution. I'm sending you out as a sheep amongst a pack of wolves. But don't fear. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Who is that? Nobody. (laughs) Nobody. but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There's only one person that can do that, and that's God, and he has eternally secured our souls. He saved us from hell. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm sending you out into persecution, but I got you. You're good. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not even one of those little sparrows that's worth a penny falls to the ground without your father's consent. A worthless little bird does not fall from its tree and hit the ground without our Heavenly Father giving it consent to do so. And God says, even the hairs of your head have all been counted, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. You see, because God is our Father, Because God has eternally secured our soul, because God is our light, God is our salvation, God is our stronghold, we don't have to live in fear. What we need to do is remind ourselves that if God wouldn't even spare his own son to save our souls, he's not going to allow us to be overcome by the things that cause our fear. Like, think about the lengths that Christ went to to secure your soul. That is who he is. He is your father, and he loves you, and he has said, because of who I am, You do not have to live as a slave to fear. God has saved you from that bondage, Roman 8. So don't go back to living like a slave to fear. The person of God gives us courage. But David in the psalm also reminds us that it's the presence of God that gives us courage. In verses 4 through verse 12 of Psalm 27, David, he's talking to himself and he's talking to God about the presence of God. And in verse 4, 5, and 6, we learn that the presence of God is protective. The presence of God is protective; It guards us from our fears. David is asking for one thing in verse number four while he's facing his enemies. And it wasn't a way out. And don't get me wrong, it's not wrong to pray for a way out. (laughs) That's a good prayer. (laughs) But that wasn't what he was seeking. What he was looking for, what he was wanting was the presence of God. You see, it's the majesty of God that outshines our fears. Look at verse 4, I've asked one thing from the Lord, it's what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. David is saying, God, your presence is so majestic, it's so beautiful, it's in that place I find protection. It's in your majesty, it's in your beauty, it's in your presence that I find my protection. Your presence is my refuge, your presence is my shelter. So that is the one thing that I need above anything else. We are secure in God nothing that we experience no matter how terrifying no matter how how hard no matter how fearful it is nothing can remove us from under god's protection and i want you to notice notice how david experiences the protective presence of god he experiences it through corporate worship look at the language he uses in verse four five and six he says i'm going to dwell in the house of the lord i'm going to seek him in his temple i'm going to offer sacrifices in his tent i will sing and make music i will lift up my voice loudly David experienced the protection of God and it led him to confidently hold his head high above his enemies as he worshipped his king, joyfully, loudly, worshipping his majestic and protecting God. And as we prioritize confident, joy-filled corporate worship that displays the majesty of God, what we do in that moment is we drown out our fears with the greater reality. And that reality is the majesty of God, the protection of God, the beauty of God, God above all else. I just want your presence because it drowns out every fear that I have. You see, when we live in fear, we overestimate the cause of our fears and we underestimate God's power and God's purposes because God is protecting us nothing happens to us that is outside of his plan. And so if I let myself become paralyzed and overwhelmed by those fears, I'm forgetting that no, God has a plan for this. God has a perfect purpose for this. And because this is happening to me, no matter how difficult it may be, I am under the protection of God's almighty and all perfect good plan. What corporate worship does is corporate worship pulls us out of that fear and it reminds us of what is really true in a tangible and powerful way. Now, it's one thing to experience the emotional high of a great corporate worship service like we did this morning. But what about Thursday morning? What about after you've had a lousy week, nothing's going your way? What about when the thing that you are afraid of actually happened? Then what? Well, let's keep marching. Let's look at verses 7 through 10. The Bible says in verse 7 Lord, hear my voice when I call, be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you seek his face. This is one of the few times in Scripture that our hearts get it right. (laughs) My heart says this about you. Seek his face, so Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Lord, you have been my helper. You are the God of my salvation. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. You see, the same God who fills you with confidence on Sunday morning as you hold your head high in worship the same God who overwhelms you with his majesty and outshines all of your fears, that same God is with you even when everything in your life is going wrong. God's presence is protective, but we also learn that God's presence is constant. It never leaves us to our fears. That's why he says in verse number 10, even if my father and mother abandon me, even though the worst should happen, I know God is caring for me. God is with me. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13. He himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. That's a promise you can take to the bank. I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may what? We may timidly say, we may quietly say, we may cross our fingers and maybe kind of hope. No, we may boldly say what? We can boldly say what David is saying here in Psalm 27. The Lord is my helper, so I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Do your worst world, I've got God. And he has eternally secured my soul and his presence is always with me. Because God's presence will never leave you. You can live courageously. Now this doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand and pretend things are okay when they're not. That's not courage, that's fear. (laughs) Ignoring problems is not courageous. That's not what the courage of God leads you to do. The courage of God is going to lead you to tackle those problems. The courage of God will say, yes, this is a hot mess, but because I have the almighty presence of God with me, because I have his power with me, I can work through this situation. I can boldly and courageously move my feet forward. I can courageously maybe even go to counseling. I can courageously get help. I can courageously be authentic. I can courageously work through and tackle my problems. I can be courageous because even when my own parents say, peace out, I'm done with you, God is with me. God's presence is constant. It never leaves us to our fear. Joshua 1.9, haven't I commanded you to be strong and courageous? Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid, I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. The right hand of God is a symbol throughout the Bible of his power and of his strength. And God Almighty, the all-powerful creator of the universe says, I have got you with my righteous right hand. You have nothing to be afraid of. You have the Holy Spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead living inside of you, Romans 8. And he enables you to experience the perfect love of the Father, Romans chapter number 5. And 1 John tells us that his perfect love drives out fear. So the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you wants to drive out that fear from your life. The more we spend time in God's presence, the more we realize God's presence is always with me. And the less we live in fear. God's presence is protective. It's constant but we also see God's presence guides us in verses 11 and 12. It leads us through our fears. I love what David's doing here. As he's continuing to seek God's presence, he asks for guidance. David isn't just blowing the spiritual raspberry at his enemies. He's like, Lord, this is a problem. I've got some people that want to kind of wipe me out. So, Lord, I need you to lead me. So in that situation, again, he's not ignoring it, but he's asking God for guidance because he realized it's the presence of God that's going to give me the wisdom and the guidance that I need. He asked God to lead him through this. Because of my adversaries, verse 11, show me your way, Lord. I've got some real enemies. They really want to kill me. So, Lord, I need you to show me your way. I need you to lead me on a level path. Don't let them, don't let them do what they want to do, Lord. I need your help. For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. See, God's presence guides us. I love Psalm 16, verses 7 and 8. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even at night when my thoughts trouble me, I always let the Lord guide me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. It's another way to say I will be courageous. Why? Because I know that God is the one that's guiding me. And when you walk with God and when you follow him, he will lead you through the circumstances that are causing you fear. He will give you the wisdom that you need to work through that fear. James 1.5 gives us the promise. If you need wisdom, just ask, and God will generously and ungrudgingly give it to you. God delights to answer that prayer. How do we grow in wisdom? How do we know how to navigate the things that are causing us fear? Well, one, according to James, you ask. Two, you spend a lot of time in God's word. Psalm 119 says it's God's word that's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's God's word that guides us. One of the reasons that we so often fall into fear is because our minds are not filled with the truth of what God says. And so the thinking part of our brain has no ammunition to combat these fears. It has no ammunition to combat the lies. And we just allow ourselves to get overwhelmed and paralyzed by fear because we have forgotten what God says about us and about him. Our minds are not protruding in the truth of who God is. Charles Spurgeon in a sermon he preached called The Folly of Unbelief said half of our fears arise from neglect of the Bible. It's a strong statement. See, God wants to lead you through whatever in your life is causing you fear. God's not up in heaven saying, hmm, I wonder how they're going to get through that. Good luck. No, God's presence wants to guide you through it. He wants to lead you through it. That's why he's given you his spirit. That's why he's given you his word. That's why he's given you the church. So his presence can guide you through those things that are causing you fear. I know it's easier to buy into the conspiracy theory. It gives us a neat little box to put everything in. We don't know what to do with our fear, so oh, this over here. It gives us a measure of control. Maybe we haven't worked the spiritual muscle of saying no to fear and then rehearsing the truth of God's word to ourselves, and so maybe that's just the default way our brain has been wired and it's gonna take some time to renew your brain. We'll get there later in the series. But the presence of God wants to guide you through those things with confident hearts, trusting in him. We've seen the person of God gives us courage. We've seen the presence of God gives us courage. Lastly, we see in the psalm, the promises of God give us courage. I love the way the psalm ends. Verses 13 and 14. I am certain. That's faith. Confident faith. I am certain. I'm certain that what? Everything's going to be a-okay? No, that's not what he says. He says, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. That's eternity. (laughs) He's like, no matter what happens in this life, I am confident that my inheritance is secure and that nothing that happens to me can take that away. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Courage is ultimately fueled by faith. Faith that what God says is true. Good courage is fueled by faith in the ultimate reality, what God promises his people. God's promise towards you, John Bloom said that, great, great writer. What God promises to you is the biggest reality of your life and good courage is fueled by that ultimate reality. By faith, David is resisting the temptation to overestimate his threat and underestimate God's power. By faith, David is saying, I am not going to underestimate God's power, and I'm not going to underestimate God's willingness to keep his promise. Letting his heart take courage means that he is going to allow himself to believe what God has said to be true. So good courage, we see, must be taken. It's an intentional choice. You don't fall into being courageous. You don't accidentally be brave courage must be taken. We must take hold of real promises given to us by a real God, so that having done all, we can stand in this evil day. Come what may, come what may, we will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. We cannot go back to fear. We cannot. We must lead our hearts to take courage by believing what God has already promised to us. I love uh, 2 Corinthians 4. I quote that verse a lot. Though our outward uh, body is being perished, our inward man is being renewed day by day. Paul follows that up with 2 Corinthians 5.1, and he says, for we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, <laughs> if your earthly tent you live in is destroyed, that's your body. Paul's like, if you die, if the worst happens, literally, if it all falls apart, and if your body is destroyed, what? We have a building from God. An eternal inheritance, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Paul's like, even if the worst should happen, even if the worst should happen, we have an inheritance that is undefiled, that is unfading, it's kept by the power of God waiting for us that cannot be touched. That's why Paul could say later, a few verses later, in verse number six of 2 Corinthians 5, so we are always confident. I've got an eternal dwelling in heaven. You can take this body all you want. You can't touch my eternal inheritance, so I'm gonna live with confidence. I'm not going to be ashamed that I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be ashamed about what I believe in. I'm going to live with boldness and confidence. Why? It's like Paul's pulling an MC hammer on his fears. can't touch this. God's promises are bigger than any fear we might have. And they fuel good biblical... You all want me to finish that song, and I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. No. No. <laughs> God's promises fuel good biblical courage, so place your hope in God. One of my favorite movies, that's not Lord of the Rings, I know, shocker, right? (laughs) Is uh, the movie The Darkest Hour. It's about Winston Churchill in World War II. In the movie, Winston Churchill must face one of his most turbulent and defining trials. Fearfully exploring the possibility of negotiating peace with Nazi Germany or courageously standing to fight for the ideals, liberty, and freedom of a nation. As the unstoppable Nazi forces roll across Western Europe and the threat of invasion into Britain is imminent, fear is everywhere. The public is unprepared, the king is skeptical, and Winston's own political party is plotting against him. Churchill must withstand his darkest hour, rally a nation, and attempt to change the course of world history. And in the movie, there's this fantastic scene in which Churchill He's sitting alone in this room, and he's wrestling with this decision, and you can tell he's about to give in to fear. He's about to resign himself to do what he does not believe is right because of the fear and the pressure that everybody is putting on him. And as he's wrestling within himself, the King of Britain walks into his room and says this, Winston, you have my support. I confess I had some reservations about you at first, But while some in this country dreaded your appointment, none, none dreaded it like Adolf Hitler. Whomever can strike fear into that brute heart is worthy of all of our trust. We shall work together. You shall have my support at any hour. Beat the buggers. (laughs) Such a great line. And in that movie, that word from the king fueled the courage of Winston Churchill and it changed the direction of the war and as they say, the rest is history, literally. Church, I want to remind us, you have the support of your king. You don't have to live in fear. And more than just his support, you have his Holy Spirit pulsing through your soul, driving out fear, leading you to take courage. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear, that come, fear does not come from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear. What has God given us? A spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of sound mind. And so because we have the support and the enabling and the power of our king, we can fight our battles and experience victory. We can overcome our fear because our king has given us everything that we need to win our battles. So here's our takeaway this morning. Orient your life around God and live courageously. Orient your life on his person. Orient your life around his presence. Orient your life around his promises and live courageously let's pray father we thank you so much for all that you have done for us and lord we know that in and of ourselves there's no good thing there's no good thing so lord we know this courage does not come from ourselves it comes from you but lord we thank you for the promise that your presence is with us we thank you for who you are lord who you are alone is worthy of all of our praise and all of our devotion and all of everything in our lives, but Lord, you have given us so many good and precious promises that go with it. And so Lord, we just with humble hearts of gratitude say thank you. I pray that we as a church would be a church that lives courageously even though there's so many things in our life and there's so many things in the world that present themselves as fear, I pray that we as a body of believers here in Fresno, California, would not give into that fear. We would not allow that fear to paralyze us, but that we would confidently move forward to advance your kingdom here in our city and around the world. We ask this in your name.